welcome to The West Steps, a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Tedes. Welcome back to The West Steps. Um, and this week, we have a returning champ in the house. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself and then we're going to um, jump into a, a really uh, exciting topic close to my heart. Um, I'm excited for this convo. So take the floor. Me too. Thanks for having me back here, Beza. Everybody, I'm Stephanie Perez Carrillo. I'm the Policy and Partnerships Manager at the Children's Campaign. And you've heard from me before, so hopefully today will be just as um, exciting and informational and hopeful. Yeah, we'll expect you to juggle or some kind of fun activity to keep us entertained. Too bad you can't see that on the podcast because I actually I know how to juggle. I forgot it's an audio medium. I forgot it's an audio medium. Um, so we have chatted about this uh, a few times and it's one of those topics that I think, you know, the more you educate yourself on it, it gets harder and harder not to get involved. So since we chatted last about food security and food access, how has the pandemic exacerbated some of those problems? And what are some of the trends that we're seeing around food safety and food security for Colorado kids and families? How much, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think uh, so much has changed and we've been doing this for a year now. And I think when we initially had this conversation, it was mostly just trying to understand when the, when the federal government was saying relief, how much relief for what programs. Um, and even before the pandemic started, we had uh, you know children and families who were facing food insecurity before. One in seven Colorado kids were facing hunger before the pandemic. And we know the pandemic has only worsened um, this situation for kids and families. You know, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Kids aren't necessarily uh, attending school because schools are closed. And that was, uh, you know, a main source, a main place where kids went to get their food. Um, and I think we're just seeing a lot of disturbing trends where we're seeing more families that are food insecure, you know, approximately 38% of Coloradans are food insecure, and it's the highest rate that we've seen since the Great Depression. You know, and for kids, we're now seeing one in five kids who aren't getting adequately fed because there's not enough money for meals. So families are just having to make really, really hard decisions. And on top of the pandemic, you have situations like what happened in Texas. Um, you have families that are losing power, families that just don't have access to a slew of things, families that are getting evicted. Um, so they have the impossible choice um, to make whether to keep their kids fed, whether, they, whether to keep their lights on. Um, and it's just, it's just gotten a lot harder for kids and a lot harder for families that have to make those really difficult decisions. Mm. So since, you know, we know a significant portion of kids um, used to get their meals, maybe their only meal of the day at school and with remote working, uh, with remote school, a lot of those kids don't have access to um, that one meal a day. What is happening to those kids? Yeah. So when the pandemic first started, I think there was a lot of confusion about, um, you know, the, the food service directors and the folks that usually provide school meals to kids. I think there was a big push to provide them with uh, PPE, with the protective equipment the, to serve the kids. And then, you know, schools were shut down. Right. So there wasn't really a roadmap to figure out how to get kids uh, food. And, and when we think about the kids that you're talking about, we're talking about free reduced price or kids that qualify for free reduced price lunches. 
and their families, even before the pandemic, were already living with um, within the federal poverty level. So what that meant was, you know, for a family of four, for kids who were receiving free free priced lunch, that family um, was making thirty four thirty four thousand dollars. And then okay, wait, families- hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So we're saying before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. For a family of four, so two parents and two children, they were supposed to live on $34,000 a year. Correct. So under typical circumstances, kids who qualify for free and reduced price lunch, their parents have to meet a criteria for how much income they're bringing in. And so for kids who receive free lunches, their parents um, make 130% of the federal poverty level. And for reduced price lunch uh, kids, their parents make 185% of the federal poverty level. And what that translates to, respectively, is around $34,400 and then $49,000. So you have families that are living um, like bare bones, living in poverty. Um, and these are the types of kids whose, um, whose needs we need to meet, right? That's around 300000 Colorado kids whose whose parents and families live in these situations. Yeah. Um, so we've I, seen. I mean, I just want us to parse that out a little bit because if you are making thirty four thousand dollars a year, you cannot afford a rent in a one bedroom apartment in any of the major Colorado cities, yeah. nor can you afford rent and feed kids. That's the type of poverty levels we are talking about. Right. Well, and even when you think about the people that fit within those bra- uh, brackets, the sectors that they're working in are a lot of the industries that have been disrupted by the pandemic. So we've seen this worsen. We've seen this exacerbate, you know, um, some of those trends and, and the number of families that are actually living in poverty um, and who need public benefits for this very reason, for this very purpose. This is the reason we have um, these programs uh, to support families who I've been working consistently, some of them working three jobs uh, just to make ends meet. And this pandemic has disrupted all of that. So, you know, what was great about, the, you know, kind of the response after a few months was like, okay, how do we ensure that families are getting their needs met while they're stuck at home working remotely? Um, And thankfully, the, the feds passed the pandemic EBT program you know, in May of last year. And this essentially would have given those parents and those families $5.70 a day for the meals they would have otherwise been receiving in schools. So when the feds first initially um, funded this program, they essentially told states, hey, find out which kids are still in a remote setting, which from June to August was pretty much all kids in in Colorado. Um, And so from June to September, rather, those families whose children were home and who would have otherwise received free and reduced price lunch meals received this $5.70 benefit. So there were around 383,000 kids or so who were eligible to receive this benefit. Um, And given that we have somewhat of a complex uh, data system here that our data systems don't necessarily talk to one another, um, we were only able to effectively uh, reach 180,000 kids. So just under 50% of the eligible kids um, were the ones that actually got to participate, um, even with all the outreach from, you know, um, CDHS, the Department of Human Services, even from outreach from districts, and even after outreach from advocacy organizations like Hunger Free and Food Banks, we still only saw just under half of eligible kids receive this benefit, mostly because you have kids whose parents didn't know they qualified, who are newly eligible for SNAP, or for the first time in, the, in their life were applying for unemployment benefits. 
So I this this issue always boggles my mind because I think um, it is really hard to imagine that we're expecting families to feed kids with five dollars a day. I, as a single person, cannot feed myself with five dollars a day. So the the benefit that we have for families who are struggling for, with food insecurity is substandard. On top of that, we are unable to actually find all of them to give them this benefit. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, par- partially of what the challenge was, was that um, in Colorado, we couldn't necessarily identify all the kids that were strictly remote for that time period. So one of the requirements for having received the $5.70 a day was you had to show proof that your school, your district was remote at the time because otherwise they would have been receiving it in person. Mm. So the $5.70 benefit was for each child in the household that qualified that would have otherwise been uh, receiving meals in schools. And I think part of what the challenge was and why we didn't necessarily reach all of the children that were eligible was that we have data systems that were trying to be responsive to the opportunity we were given. We had a short amount of time. The Department of Human Services was working overtime to identify all the kids that were eligible for this benefit. And part of what was hard was that um, our data systems from the Department of Human Services and the Department of Education weren't necessarily talking uh, to one another. And so where the Department of Education would have otherwise been able to identify all these kids um, and and cross-reference that with CDHS, those data systems didn't connect. Um, So you basically had school districts at the local level trying to find these kids, you know, kids who some of them have moved, some of them have left the district altogether where they can no longer afford to live. Um, Some of them with their phones disconnected. And then you had the Department of Human Services who used um, children and families that were already enrolled in the supplemental uh, supplemental nutrition assistance program to identify and automatically enroll people um, yeah. into PEBT. So families that were already enrolled in, in SNAP saw this pandemic EBT benefit added to their added to their benefit on a monthly basis from June to September. Then what happened um, was through the continuing resolution that funded the government, you know, in December. We knew we found out that there was an extension through 20, June of 2021 for this program. Um, yeah. And so what that means is that we have another opportunity um, after having gotten federal guidance in, in recent weeks. And part of what that guidance included was an increase to the to the benefit. To your point around like five dollars and seventy cents is not enough. And I think the federal the feds kind of recognized that and increased it to six dollars and eighty-seven cents to include a snack, um, which kids would have otherwise gotten in school. Mm-hmm. So that is by no means um, a sufficient amount when I think about like how much I would spend on a meal for myself um, yeah. as a grown adult, like what that means for a growing child. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. Going from adolescence into adulthood or, you know, yeah. from being a young child into adolescence. Um, and so, you know, I think there's been some good responses from this administration and it still remains to be seen how the state is going to grapple with the same data challenge we had before the continuing resolution gave us the opportunity to extend this benefit through the whole year. Yeah. So the last time we talked about um, food access and food security on this pod, um, we talked a lot about the negative consequences of experiencing food insecurity in a in young age. Um, so, so what are some of the new trends that you are anticipating that this time of uncertainty around where the next meal comes from and 
um, so many kids going hungry, we the state has to grapple with in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think I think not, the food issue has kind of exacerbated some of the trends that we've seen in social and emotional well-being. And I think, you know, last week or maybe two weeks ago, we heard the news around the disturbing trend in Colorado where we've seen suicide increase. And I think part of um, part of experiencing food insecurity is there's already a stigma associated with like if you receive school meals, you know, at school. And if you're, if you qualify for free reduced price lunch and this stigma kind of, you know, existed before the pandemic happened and before we were in kind of this phase. And I think kids have an awareness of uh, what, what their bodies need to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And you think about kids that are learning remotely right now, they have the challenge of not being able to connect with their friends over a meal, which they would have otherwise done during the school year. And they're not getting access to a meal. So when you think about what that does to um, you know, a child's mental health and well-being, um, it's it's demoralizing. And I think, you know, we've seen trends in where, you know, kids are reporting higher rates of depression, where they're acknowledging that, like, I don't have my peers to connect with. I'm not eating food. I know my parents don't have don't have a job or have lost their job recently. And so when you combine all those things that kids are really aware of and that they can see, um, I think it creates this sense of, of um, low self-worth or low self-esteem. So I think what we can anticipate are kids that are not only dealing with not being able to interact with other kids, but knowing that they're not getting the nutrients that they need, knowing that um, their parents are doing everything in their power um, to get them a meal, to keep them housed. And that just, I think, puts a strain on on kids and what their role is, recognizing like, I'm a kid, what can I do? Um, So I think really what we're going to see are some just really disturbing trends around mental health and ensuring kids have the support to not only talk through some of these things, but to also um, report and share when, you know, uh, when they need, when they need food or when they need uh, this kind of support. So, you know, I think we're, what we're hearing from educators and what we're hearing from school districts is that there have been innovative ways for peers to connect, for teachers to connect to students, to get a sense of like what their students need when they're in class but I think you're going to get, a, um, you know, a generation of kids that's really aware of, of what's been missing at this time. And food is just like one very basic thing that we all need to learn and to survive. But it's so much more than that when you think about a kid's development and a kid's cognitive development. Um, so I'm not really sure what, what the future holds here, but I know that there's a generation of kids that's really aware of the intersection of problems that this pandemic has exacerbated. Um, and I think for for people of color, like we've seen them experience higher levels of hunger, 52% compared to those um, who are white at 30%. And so on top of, you know, this type, this experiencing hunger, you know, we have communities of color who have been part of like this racial pandemic and have been part of this racial reckoning that are also dealing with those intersections too. So it's not just hunger in a vacuum. It's not just hunger. I'm hungry and I can't think, or I'm hungry and I can't do my work. It's I'm hungry. And there's all these other things of like, I don't live in the same house where I grew up. We had to move. I don't have friends that I'm regularly in contact with. Just the intersection of all these things, I think will really start to impact young people who have yet to go back to school. Yeah. And I think the compounding nature of having to deal with food insecurity and then the social isolation kids are experiencing and how much that, you know, is fueling some of the trends, uh, very alarming trends we're seeing around 
um, suicide rates and rates of depression and anxiety and loneliness. I think these are going to be major public health crises and um, and it's happening at a moment where, um, you know, I think there are just a lot of leaks in the container, you know, um, and I think we're going to have to think about this in a very holistic way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I even think of like my niece and she's going to be three, you know, in a few months. And I think she's learning how to communicate like some of these feelings. Like when we think about social emotional wellness and kids being able to communicate what they need or what they feel is off, you know, I think is um, a, a positive trend where this past week I was part of the, you know, the Colorado Youth Congress's Systems Change Network. And it's a group of young people that are wanting to lead you know, mental health and racial justice campaigns. And I think, you know, there are young people who are modeling the behavior of talking about like, hey, I'm hungry or talking about, hey, like I'm having some mental health challenges or I'm really struggling with depression. So, you know, while it does seem like it's a very bleak future in terms of how we address hunger, I think you have young people that are thinking about innovative ways to support their peers, to support the younger children that are coming after them. Um, And so to your point around holistically thinking about the challenges we face, I'm also very, um, I'm very eager to see what the young people who are thinking creatively about solutions Mm -hmm. will come up with when it means, when it means, you know, um, advocating for their peer, even advocating for their brother or sister, their younger brother or sister. Um, And I think there's hope in the future uh, and, and in that, in that group of young people that see the need to advocate for not only themselves, but also for younger kids who are facing those same intersection of challenges. Yeah, I think that's a great segue to talk about how the um, legislators thinking about food security and food access during the current um, legislative session. So can you talk to us about some of the current solutions that legislators thinking about and some of um, the solutions that advocates want to see? Again, where do I start? I mean, how long do we have? Um, you know, I think I think you have a lot of um, anti-hunger folks, advocacy organizations, agencies that all want to work together to ensure that we're ad- addressing this problem before it gets any worse, before we see higher rates of food insecurity. So, you know, the legislature convened a special session just before the holidays, and they um, what they did was appropriate $5 million for food, food pantry assistance grant programs. We know that food banks and food pantries have been an essential source of, of food and nutrients for families in, in their respective communities. If you think of small rural towns, the food banks are like an essential source yeah. for food and an essential uh, source for ensuring families are getting access to dried goods. So that food pantry assistance grant program, you know, provided $5 million for, for the great organizations doing that work. I think since we've seen an increase in the number of families that are eligible for SNAP, um, you know, uh, th- one of the hopes is that we increase the amount of funding that we're spending in outreach. So Last legislative session, we advocated for $500,000 for outreach to contact families and individuals who are eligible for SNAP. And this year, uh, wanting to double that investment to a million um, because every dollar that we spent in SNAP outreach is um, applicable or um, can receive a one-to-one federal match. So for if the state were to invest a million dollars in SNAP outreach, we would also receive that same amount of funding from the Fed. So $2 million um, in SNAP outreach. And then I think there's just going to be continued brainstorm and thinking around after this June 2021 period ends where we have 
um, pandemic EBT benefits. How are we thinking about the summer food service program? How are we enrolling uh, kids and ensuring that we're notifying uh, kids that there are summer food sites? And um, it remains to be seen some of the larger issues that we have around uh, free and reduced price lunch in the state. You know, unfortunately, uh, our enrollment numbers went down. And uh, part of what happened was a lot of the kids who would otherwise qualify for free and reduced pr price lunch didn't turn in their forms. Uh, you know, every year these kids have to bring in a form to, to show that they qualify for free and reduced price lunch uh, meals. And so one of the things that we're kind of thinking through is, how do we reach the kids we know didn't necessarily participate in the first round of PBT, but also the kids that have become newly eligible for free and reduced price lunch? So, you know, the other opportunity here is when we're thinking about the second round of pandemic EBT, which, you know, with the guidance from the feds that was just recently issued is how do we ensure that the remaining 200,000 kids that were eligible for this benefit get it? And I think legislators are grappling with this very question, recognizing Kids likely aren't going to be in school full time the way they would have under normal circumstances for the remainder of this school year. And what does that mean for how school lunch looks in the fall? Um, yeah. I think those are questions that legislators are grappling with in addition to getting kids back to school in person for all the reasons we mentioned. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, this for 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 us to think about food security and food access differently and holistically and think of creative solution, I think it requires people to plug in. But I feel like it's one of those major issues where sometimes it's really hard to know where to start. So can you give our listeners some pointers on where they can plug in, where they could learn and get their voices heard, or they can just um, educate themselves on the issues? Yeah, I mean, I think a good place to start is the Colorado Food Finder. So it's cofoodfinder.org. And I think and we that, can put that in the show notes too. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah, that, this is, um, it, it has a food resource map. It kind of tells you in your respective communities where you can find food banks. And one of the benefits of how our systems have been working together in combating food insecurity is that, you know, if you go to one of these food banks, it's likely that you'll know somebody that can help you kind of navigate um, you know, what feels really hard and daunting in applying for SNAP in applying for benefits that you may or may not be eligible for. Um, and so I think part of what the hope for that website is to kind of direct you to what your benefits are to help plug you into, um, you know, uh, whatever applications, you know, for Colorado, it's the peaks uh, site that you have to apply through. Um, and so that's a good place to start. And I think um, folks often forget about, you know, religious organizations, churches. I think you have pastors, deacons, priests who are well aware of like these type of programs to support families and communities. And so they're another, you know, another good place to plug in. And then our friends over at Hunger Free Colorado have been doing phenomenal work on some of the outreach and they have a hotline that you can call. Um, so, you know, there are multiple ways to kind of plug in. It's just a matter of knowing that they exist. Yeah. Um, and also the benefit of the Colorado Food Finder website is that they have some of the resources in Spanish um, for families that might not um, speak uh, only English or might, might have limited English proficiency. Um, yeah. So those are good places to start. And depending on whether or not you're in, um, you know, the metro area or rural areas, there are also family resource centers that I think serve, serve as phenomenal sources of information when it comes to knowing how to apply, knowing where to apply, or even knowing the organizations in their communities that are doing this important work. 
Yeah, and we will put all those resources in our show notes. Um, I think, you know, food is can be deeply healing and, and it's a very communal and joyful experience when shared with others, but it could also be a major source of pain for those who struggle with um, insecurity. So I think that this is an issue that we can all participate in, even if we've never had a personal experience with it. So I just want to say thank you for making the time and continue to talk to us through it and all your, all your hard work in making sure kids have all, all that that they need. So we appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for being and here. And next time we might even force you to juggle and put the video in the show notes. Oh man, if only folks could actually see. It maybe lasts about two, it doesn't last very long. It's not very good, uh, but it is sure entertaining. So, you know, at least, at least we can give you that much. If nothing else, she can juggle, folks. If nothing else, she can juggle. That's Thank right. you so much. And uh, please share this uh, episode with friends and family and be brave and share it with strangers. Um, we will come back and talk to you again next week. Um, until then, um, stay safe. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, everybody. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, go to coloradokids.org. Fun fact, you can also find out Erica's pet peeves on her profile page on our website. Please don't do that.